0: smart guy. You're doing exactly what I did. I mean, you know, that's the benefit. If you rent a Section 8 and you you work with agencies and help low-income people and and play with the program, then it pays off because you got security. You got the government backing you up, you know, guaranteeing you they're going to pay you that money. So I'm glad. I'm happy for you. I wish I was in your shoes because I'm not in those shoes. Shagad sure, M, thanks for the five dollars. Hey Ben,
1: thanks for for your insights. When do you think the real estate market will crash and when will be a good time to buy?
0: You know, right now we're in uncharted waters. You know, everybody's holding on, but I'm telling you now, and everybody's got a prediction. And and half the time people predict the right thing. Why? Because you're either right or you're wrong. You got a fifty percent chance. It's like going it's like when my wife goes to the roulette table. You know, she either plays the black or the red. Why? Because she knows she's got a 50-50 chance of winning. You know? So um you know, I'm predicting we don't know what the hell's going on now. The government's really pumped up the economy to keep it going, but I think it's inevitable. The banks aren't getting the money they need on their mortgages. Landlords aren't collecting rents right now. And, and you can't even blame the companies not paying them because they're not making no money. The movie theaters are suffering. The restaurants are suffering. The hotels are empty. You know, gyms are empty. And then, you know, they suffer. The landlord suffers. Everybody's suffering. Uh I think that there's plenty of people, I'm one of them, ready to cash out. So, like I said... I'm putting properties on the market right now for mega millions less than I thought they were worth and what I would have took before this shit started. So now's a great time to go out and look for bargains, okay? It's always a good time to look for bargains, but now there's a lot of scared people out there. They just don't want to tell nobody they're scared. But I would be out there lowballing stuff because, like I said... You know, you put some money in front of somebody, these days, they're going to think twice. The stock market's going up. The stock market's going down. It's like a brand new boat had of wax and everything. Everything's working. The air conditioner's working. The generator's working. It'll cruise at 40 miles an hour. It's got two sleeping compartments. It's got a refrigerator. It's got a microwave. You can take a shower and use the bathroom in it. What the hell else do you want? All under 27, 8 feet. Made by Formula. Come on, 30 grand. Come on down to Clearwater and let's make a deal. What else you got?
1: Andres Estronza, thanks for the $5. I submitted an Ask Ben question. Looking for tenant help on Force Major, I mean, Major.
0: Force Major? Major claim force majeure is that somebody looked that up is that some friggin french word they came up with fuck you force majeure force majeure from my understanding means that it was uh you know the government or somebody major came in like a war or government or something shut you down i'm trying to fight that honestly with my tenants saying listen you know it ain't force majeure a virus doesn't classify for that and let's make a deal okay I'm making deals all right so it's best to make a deal if the tenant's trying to pull that say listen you ain't got no legal my lawyers say they got no legal way to stand on it if that was the case there'd be a million lawsuits billions of lawsuits it's not fair to say that it's best that we all buckle down together let's make a deal what's fair to everybody how much can you afford to pay let's put it on the back end I've even given away some rent to some big-shot clients. They squeezed me, you know, where I had to abate some rent. You know, it depends on the situation. It depends on the type of business they're in. You know, what's fair is fair. You know, but everybody needs to be fair with each other under these circumstances right now. You know, but force majeure means they ain't paying your shit, and they're out of here. I think it means they have to leave, too. So be careful. If they're trying to stay and claim it. I don't think that works. That just the force majeures when you have to leave the premises. So, what else you got? That's all for tonight.
1: That's
0: all. The super That's tracks. it. All right. Good night. Good luck and take care. Be safe and uh, keep looking for real estate. Bye. Adios, Adios amigo. Ya.
2: So I can figure out their systems. Mm-hmm. I didn't care about the information. I wanted to know their systems. How was they teaching? How did the professor break? Like, what was the type of questions the professor was asking? What was the curriculum? Like, how did they break their stuff down? And I took everything that I felt was the best from that situation, and I implemented it into my online business school. Mm -hmm. And they teach based on case studies. So I took that element, and I added that element to my business school. They have professors, but I'm a strong believer in you can only take me as far as you got yourself. Right. So how are you going to teach me how to have a million-dollar business if you never had a million-dollar business? If I want to get to $100 million, how are you going to teach me how to get there if you've never been there yourself? Mentors are the GPS to success. That's how you're going to get there in a record-breaking time. They're going to talk to you and tell you what moves to make. How to get there the quickest. So, when I realized that, I said, okay, I'm going to replace the professors and I'm going to add millionaire mentors. Mm. People that's already where you want to be at in life based on the skill set. So, not putting somebody in there to talk about all topics, only talk about the topics that you're proficient at. So if you're proficient at sales and you did $40 million in sales, come here. Come sit in the seat. I need you to teach my students. You do marketing, or oh, you, oh, you spend a million dollars in a month? Oh, okay. Come sit down, and teach my students how to do Facebook and Instagram ads. I like oh, you're a leader? Okay. How many people you lead? Oh, two, you lead 2,000 people? And they're gone, gun ho about you. All right, come on. I need you to teach my students how to do leadership. And so on and so forth. And that's how I built out the academy. So you're learning from real-life people who are killing it right now. Not the, I'm going to get this information. I ain't going to tell nobody this. You know those people. I ain't going to tell nobody uh, this. Ain't nobody going to know about this. And they keep it to themselves. And that's what keep us back because we get the information and we get told the game is to be sold, not told. Don't introduce them to the plug. When I go with Kit, Katie and Mary and them, they introducing me to every goddamn body. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so just implementing what I've learned from that and put accountability into it. Giving them their own mastermind groups where they meet once a month. and talk about their issues, personal, business, have a sounding board, giving them uh, a way to uh, have micro micro goals instead of massive goals. Because in life you gotta have micro goals, so you gotta have micro celebrations until you get to that goal. But we demotivated until we get to that main goal because we didn't get to it yet. So we get. Turned off, but if you got little micro goals, you're getting celebrations, and you got the morale still yeah. up until you get to the big goal. Mm-hmm. So I, I put that into the school also. So not only you got the accountability, but I make everybody get accountability partners. Second thing is making sure they know how to execute on their tasks. Call it the power list. This is and fire, then, bro. This is
3: crazy.
2: And then, <laughs> funny man. And then you have the millionaire mentors, and then we have we give everybody, we, we, we dedicate everybody to a, a main person, so if they have questions, they can get unstuck. Because a lot of people give up because they're just stuck and they got questions and they ain't got nobody to talk to. So as soon as you get into the program, you do your orientation.
3: Just like a college,
2: just like this is a university. Uh, Orientation, we got to map out how we do things, what's our core values, how we rock around here, how we support each other. So if somebody fall down at the finish line, you dust them off and say, come on, let's go. We got this. They give you a problem, you shoot them back a solution. No judge zone, and we build a community, right? And then you have that, and then after that, you get a welcome call. We welcome you. Welcome to the family. Let me know you need anything. I'm your designated contact. We rock with you. Wow. Q&A's twice a week. Whatever questions you got, we had to answer them for you. Amazing. We ain't leaving until you ready. And then I jump on and I do a set. I meet all my students. Talk to my students. We talk. Our mm-hmm. conversation, I want to know about you. What's going on? Why did you purchase the program? All right, what's going through your mind? How can I help you? What are your challenges? And really know and understand who I'm marketing to so I can know exactly how to deliver the best product to them. And on that note, they can text my number, (laughs) 786 661 12 Twenty-four takes me to hashtag masterclass. It just takes me masterclass.
3: Is there anything we could just like special for our listeners? Okay.
2: Matter of fact, don't text that number. All (laughs) right. We we got something. So
3: just click the link below. Okay, it'll be in the bio, um, or or it'll be in the caption. I just want to be able to do something special for the listeners, man. Because I mean. They've been studying at your feet for the last almost hour and a half. And, I mean, you're really, really dropping gems. And I just want to know, you know, if, if there's something that we could do. I don't know, but click the link. You know, if there's something that we can do, it will be. Yeah, yeah. 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 A little link right somewhere. Yeah, a little link somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> I love
2: you,
4: Speck.
3: All right. Um, okay. So, how many people are in the university? 7,000. Got seven thousand people.
2: Well, Harvard yes. before Harvard became Harvard. Self education is key, which means this thing works. Oh, you don't get sure. seven thousand people in a Never. for
3: sure it works. For sure,
1: Thanks guys. And what's up, Aaron? Keep doing your thing, dude.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you very much. What did he do? I will. What did he do? You do? Closing his first deal in two weeks. Congratulations. I hope you make money on it. Good deal. Yeah. Good deal. We should be ringing the bell. Whenever somebody closes the deal, we should have the bell to ring or get me the rubber chicken. Chucky, where's your chicken? All right. What else you got? Anything else? Anybody
1: else? Heath Sims. Thanks for the $5. Ben, you ever heard of
0: salad? Salad? Yeah. I know all about salad. It comes got right you. before you get a meal salad is what you enjoy on your way to the big steak baby i love salad but not too much you know it's just to get you started get your stomach going because something good's getting ready to come so you just give it that little teaser with the salad all right what else Sofla
1: Ben 10. Thanks for the $5. What do you know about collecting rents and putting in a sweep account and making interest off of it? The OG property manager was telling me about this. All right.
0: A sweep account is, it's really banking. It has to do with banking. You put the money in account, the bank sweeps it out Some banker comes with a broom and a dustpan, sweeps up your money, and he goes, puts it somewhere else where he claims he's making more money because he's investing it in something that's paying more money, and then he gives you a piece of that action. I believe that's the way it works. They sweep the money out, they put it in a can uh, somewhere where it's making more money, with the other money that the bank has, and then they split the profit with you. So you get a little more interest than you would just sitting in their account doing nothing. That's my opinion. Verify it with a banker, but it's very common on any kind of operating accounts to have a sweep account, come in and sweep up. That's what the goddamn banks do. They like to clean up, clean up your money.
1: What else you got? Anything? IGH Properties. Thanks again for the ninety nine ninety nine. Ben ninety
0: nine ninety nine. Ben, I,
1: I outspent the doctor. Real estate investors make more money than doctors, anyways. I'm only renting for Section Eight
0: now, so if tenants don't pay, I'm still making money, baby. Well, you're a smart guy. You're doing exactly what I did. I mean, you know, that's the benefit. If you rent the Section Eight. And you, you work with agencies and help low-income people and, and play with the program, then it pays off because you got security. you got the government backing you up, you know, guaranteeing you they, they're going to uh, pay you that money. So I'm glad. I'm happy for you. I wish I was in your shoes because I'm not in those shoes. Sure, God Thanks for the $5. Hey, Ben, thanks for...
1: For your insights, when do you think the real estate market will crash, and when will be a good time to buy?
0: You know, right now we're in uncharted waters. You know, everybody's holding on, but I'm telling you now, and everybody's got a prediction. And and half the time, people predict the right thing. Why? Because you're either right, or you're wrong. You got a 50% chance, it's like, going, it's like when my wife goes to the roulette table. You know, she either plays the black or the red. Why? Because she knows she's got a 50-50 chance of winning. You know, so, um, you know, I'm predicting we don't know what the hell's going on now. The government's really pumped up the economy to keep it going. But I think it's inevitable. The banks aren't getting the money they need on their mortgages. Landlords aren't collecting rents right now. And and you can't even blame the companies not paying them because they're not making no money. The movie theaters are suffering. The restaurants are suffering. The hotels are empty. You know, gyms are empty. And then, you know, they suffer. The landlord suffers. Everybody's suffering. Uh, I think that there's plenty of people, I'm one of them, ready to cash out. So, like I said, I'm putting properties on the market right now for mega millions Less than I thought they were worth and what I would have took before this shit started. So now's a great time to go out and look for bargains. Okay? It's always a good time to look for bargains. But now, there's a lot of scared people out there. They just don't want to tell nobody they're scared. But I would be out there lowballing stuff because like I said... You know, you put some money in front of somebody, these days, they're going to think twice. The stock market's going up. The stock market's going down. It's like a brand new boat out of wax and everything. Everything's working. The air conditioner's working. The generator's working. It'll cruise at 40 miles an hour. It's got two sleeping compartments. It's got a refrigerator. It's got a microwave. You can take a shower and use the bathroom in it. What the hell else do you want? All under 27, 8 feet. Made by Formula. Come on, 30 grand. Come on down to Clearwater and let's make a deal. What else you got?
1: Andres Estronza, thanks for the $5. I submitted an Ask Ben question. Looking for tenant help on Force Major, I mean, Major.
0: Force Major? Major claim. Force majeure. Is that, somebody looked that up. Is that some friggin' French word they came up with? Fuck you. Force majeure. Force majeure, from my understanding, means that it was, uh, you know, the government or somebody major came in like a war or government or something shut you down. I'm trying to fight that honestly with my tenants saying, listen, you know, it ain't force majeure. A virus doesn't classify for that. And let's make a deal, okay? I'm making deals, all right? So it's best to make a deal. If the tenant's trying to pull that, say, listen, you it ain't got no legal. My lawyers say they got no legal way to stand on it. If that was the case, there'd be a million lawsuits, billions of lawsuits. It's not fair to say that. It's best that we all buckle down together, let's make a deal, what's fair to everybody, how much can you afford to pay, let's put it on the back end. I've even given away some rent to some big-shot clients, they squeezed me, you know, where I had to abate some rent, you know, it depends.
5: And the answer was that the uh, people in the military police were way more satisfied with that than people in the Air Force. This was very puzzling because almost no one got promoted in the military police and everyone got promotions in the Air Force. So why would people be more satisfied in the military police? Well, the answer is that so many people got promoted in the Air Force that getting promoted was meaningless, right? Um, so few people got promoted... The the median condition in the military police was not getting promoted. So if you didn't get promoted in the military police, you're like, well, no one is. It's fine. If you didn't get promoted in the the Air Force, oh, man, you're devastated. Because everyone's getting promoted, right? And if you did get promoted, it's like, who cares? Everyone's getting promoted. So it's like, do you see that the... the (laughs) It's this totally inverted thing. You think that you're making life better by promoting everyone, but you're not. You're simply creating, you're suddenly altering the set of existing expectations. Um, so, the, so, yeah, I don't know whether you can, um, messing around with hierarchies is a very, 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 very tricky business, and it's probably better just to try to avoid them when you can. Thanks. Oh, go
6: ahead. Hi, Malcolm. Thanks for coming in. Um, my question is a little bit around, I guess, your media diet. Obviously, as someone that writes a lot about social science, you have to go through a lot of academic journals. But what was actually really interested to see was that you had a really, I think, mean, cogent and, and fluent conversation with Bill Simmons, often on his blog, about sports and different topics. So I was wondering a little bit about your media diet outside the academic journal sphere and like how you kind of keep your mind and horizon broad
5: yeah. across different topics. Well, I'm a huge sports fan, so there's an enormous amount of, Consumption of sports-related stuff, uh, and um, particularly these days, I I spend an enormous amount of time watching obscure European track and field meets on sort of live streams at two in the morning. Um, so there's that, and then, uh, but I think you know, my strategy has always been you can't. You have to very consciously differentiate yourself from where you think your professional peer group is going um, so the to the extent that people are my to the extent that people migrate to things that are accessible online, I feel I should migrate to things that are inaccessible online so the value or to the extent that people stop reading books and read, I feel I need to read more books. Um, so I've been, tr- what I've been trying to do is to kind of, it's why I spend a lot of time in actual physical libraries, reading things in hard copy, because there's a kind of a serendipity that you get when you, this is not in any way meant a criticism, by the way, of search engines, for example. <laughs> which are incredibly useful but they are but they you know they also have limitations they reward a certain kind of serendipity and they punish another kind of serendipity right and if you really want to if you're interested in serendipitous learning as i am much of what i uncover is uncovered serendipitously you have to be a student of all of the different mechanisms of chance encounters with the unusual and the insightful And so that means that not only do I spend a lot of time screwing around online on databases, but I also very, very consciously make sure that I go to physical libraries and walk through the stacks. And even something as simple as you're interested in one book, and then you go and you just look at all of the books that surround it, right? And the connections are not always... The connections are... There's, there are connections between them, but it's a different kind of connection than they would be connected online. It's not a keyword connection, right? It's a thematic connection, or it's a... So there's all these sorts of... You have to be a student of these kinds of... Um, of, the, of the different ways in which ideas cluster. Um, and so that... And I've been I thought a lot about that in recent years as a way of distinguishing myself from... Um, other journalists. Thank you.
6: Hi, I have a quick question. In your last uh, book, Outliers, you spoke about uh, the advantages of you know, whether it's being born in a certain year or having access to the earliest computers and stuff like that. And in this book, you have a whole new section called the disadvantages of being advantageous. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if you see a contradiction or if how do you reconcile the two?
5: Yeah, well, I have several answers to that question. Um, uh, so there's clearly a difference between... The notion that I play with in this book is called desirable difficulty. And desirable difficulty is a class of uh, of difficulties that have paradoxical outcomes that force you to do things that end up being advantageous. So um, there's a whole there's a whole school of uh, of research around these people at UCLA called the Bjorks, who try and uncover specific examples of desirable difficulties. A good one would be, for example, a simple one would be um, studying strategies. Uh, that to the extent that you can make your studying process more difficult, you will retain more information. So the Bjorks have these beautiful data that says if you're learning um, something very complex, um, the best thing to do is to learn it in small chunks. So say I have three tasks that require mastery. I have two choices. I can master the first, master the second, and master the third, or I can break up all the learning into Ten-minute chunks and do ten minutes, ten minutes, ten minutes, ten minutes, ten minutes. They say do the latter, even though it's harder, even though you have to start over. So y'all are independent,
2: but he controlled everything. So we're not independent. He's independent. <laughs>
3: oh man. difference. Did he sign other people to his label?
2: We signed a couple people, but it never took off because, like I said, the infrastructure and understanding certain things to have a successful business, he only could take it so far without the right talent. He was running it like, like street hustle. He had, he put people in place but that wasn't their expertise. Imagine going to hire somebody that all they do all day is marketing, and you put them on payroll. Imagine hiring somebody that builds companies for a living, and you have them as your COO. Right. Like he didn't have any of that. He had Pookie, literally Pookie, all right? right. <laughs> his Pookie. No, nah, real. Like that was his nickname, Pookie. <laughs> yeah, Pookie. You had freaking. Like, you had the role manager, you had him, and you had my brother trying to run the whole label. There's mm. no way. And then I started on the social media stuff because I felt
3: like it was lacking, right? So you—oh, hold on. So you you were doing the social media for— Pretty Ricky. Pretty Ricky. Yeah. Because it was lacking. And yeah. um, and this is like Twitter, Facebook days. Yeah, I MySpace days.
2: I, I made us number one on MySpace. At the time, they had like a hundred million users. I was the number one profile. Pretty Ricky's number one profile.
3: Oh wow! Yeah, dang. Mm-hmm. All right. So, you when you feel the decline, what's going th- what's going on through your head when you're like, yo, this music stuff, it's not.
2: Nah. One day he told us we was broke. We was like, we ain't had no money. So that's it. We gotta
3: figure out what we doing. How you you just one day, yeah, we ain't got no money, y'all. And I know you're thinking, hold on, we sold how many records? We
2: doing shows all the time. $50,000 shows, just handing them 100% of
3: the money. So are you questioning how? How did we go broke, Dad?
2: He's not a dad you question. It's not one of those ball games, you know. It's not one of those like, "Yo, what you do? <laughs> <laughs> Go get Jazzy Jeff for those issues." <laughs> wow. Yeah, but like he just, he's just like, "Yo, is it like we ain't really
3: ain't nothing?" And what's going on through your head? What are you feeling in your heart right now? I never, like, really cared about
2: money. So to me, it wasn't nothing. It was when he kicked me out, though. He kicked me out of the house. We had a a, a debate about something, right? And we, With music? It was about somebody in the music industry, right? Are you, allowed, are you allowed to talk about it? I don't really want to talk about it, right. but it was somebody in the music industry. We was doing, like, it was like we was working on, like, a, a huge record that we felt was huge and it was another artist, but he wasn't really rocking with the artist, got mad, like got upset, like just kicked me out the house. I didn't have no money, no clothes. I didn't have nothing. It was me, uh, Jamie and my son.
3: Wow. How long goes was that?
2: That was uh I don't know. I don't know when that was.
3: I think, what, 2012 or something like that? Wow. So you rock with Jamie for a minute. Shout out to Jamie. <laughs> I like Jamie. <laughs> yeah. She's like a, she just, she's so sweet, but she's a powerhouse. At the same time, you can tell she just has a heart for people, man. So mm-hmm. shouts out to Jamie. It's mm-hmm. amazing. So, he, so y'all was in the house, and he kicks y'all
2: out the house. Out. I ain't had no wills, no money, no clothes. Grandchild.
3: Yep, out. Dang. And was that the end of the relationship? It went sour after that. You know, it
2: went sour mm-hmm. because it was just like for real. He 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 offered me to come back, but at that point, I was like, "Nah."
3: And I'm what good. were you? What were your plans?
2: So. Jamie's mom told me I could come and stay, stay out of the house for six months. Mm-hmm. And um, I went there, and that's the time I got that call from Matty J. Right when I got kicked out.
3: Really? Mm-hmm. So Matty calls you and said, yo, you can make money on Twitter. Let's make this money. hmm He was getting a referral fee. That's
2: when they was giving out the iPads and all that. Mm-hmm. But it was a blessing. You know, because I wouldn't been doing what I was what I'm doing right now, in terms of monetization, because I was already, you know, kind of dipping and dabbing in it. But when he told me that, I was like, "Oh, what's this?" And then I was, I was game over. Mm. At, at that point, I was like, "Oh, I gotta go hard." Not only I ain't got no money, mom's mom's let me live for free in a little room Jamie grew up in. Mm. I went in a little den on the little computer, and they had to beg me to come to sleep. Like, I was sleeping probably three, four hours a day, if, if that.
3: You know what's so cool, too? Because you have the, I mean, you have, like, the habit of work ethic. So whether it's the music, practicing every single day, Mm -hmm. if you don't have that to work towards, whatever else you put your hands on, you're going to, like, give it that same intensity and And
2: it was kind of a blessing that I didn't have to worry about money with him. He handled all the money, so my mind was always on focus on the craft. growth in the craft and everything I needed to do to perfect so Once I kind of perfected it, I knew the money was gonna come, and I didn't have to worry about it because he was handling it, so it kind of put me in a position where before
6: you guys got like into a relationship relationship or was it the relationship first and then you guys teamed up together
7: so it was the relationship first and um, you know part of what brings us together um, are our commonalities so we both have an interest and a background in Asia and that's the region that we were working so we were in different offices but the same region and so we both had um, so I was I lived in Japan from the ages of two to six, and I spoke Japanese when we lived there. And then we moved back to the states after that. So I had this, you know, my like my like pivotal my growing years were in Japan. So I had this, yeah. So I had this really strong. What were you doing in Japan? My parents. My my dad's Venezuelan, so my mom met. My dad in Fort Lauderdale moved with him to Venezuela. I was born there and they'd converted to Buddhism, a Buddhism that the sect is, um, it's the Nichirin, uh, Shoshu Buddhism and from Japan. So they had friends who had already gone to like explore this Buddhism more in Japan And my parents were trying to figure out how to get there. My dad found a school that did, um, had a master's in architectural photography. So he enrolled in the school. He, like, learned Japanese, enrolled in architectural photography school, and they just took us. Well, I was just me at the time. So, yeah, my, my mom, I'm two, and my mom goes halfway across the world and... They they like adventure. That's my super cool. Yeah. <laughs> and you learn
6: English and Japanese. I mean, you were obviously old enough yes. to already know English, but you learned Japanese at a very young age.
7: Yes. Yeah, so Japanese, Spanish, and English were my first three languages, which was interesting when I moved back because I moved to St. Petersburg and um I my second grade teacher <laughs> tried to hold me in my first grade. My first grade teacher tried to hold me back because she said that knowing so many languages made me slow, <laughs> which, you know, that's it was 1986. That's okay. Um, but my mom pushed back and I ended up in gifted class instead. <laughs> so, um, Teach their own. <laughs> exactly. But ever since then, I was, you know, when we got to the agency... You know, I I want I had Spanish. I was like, I can pick Japanese right back up. I had enough of it, and that was my interest. And then Andy has Chinese, and his um he has a degree in uh, East Asian studies, and so we had this common interest in that region, and in working the targets in that region. So it was natural for us to eventually end up working the same targets i don't think we were ever at the same time in the same office but that doesn't mean that we weren't working the same targets if that makes sense like um for example they'll have a regional office that will do asia but then they'll have another office that does a subject matter like counter proliferation Mm -hmm. right so you can be Have two people, one in a regional office, one in counterproliferation, and then they overlap because counterproliferation happens everywhere in the world. So that's how it ended up happening. And where are you guys
6: at at this point? Like, where is the CIA headquarters? Like, that you guys, where's the building that you guys are working
7: at? So we were in Langley at the main headquarters. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And we were there for quite some time before, you know, doing TDYs and things like that.
6: And how long was it before you guys actually went out into the field and went to Asia together?
7: So we. And where
6: did you guys go to China?
7: uh, We, I, I don't can't say. Yeah, we can't say the exact location. Asia. (laughs) Asia, okay. (laughs) Um, but we did a number of TDYS separately. Um so we had started traveling for the agency almost as soon as we joined. Oh, okay. Right, like he, him going, you know, I would go one country, he would go another country d- at different times as the office as the mission dictated. Mm-hmm. Um and then uh eventually I I knew that I wanted to be assigned overseas um, for a longer period of time. So I started, you know, just putting a little bug in my manager's ear. Like I will go literally anywhere. Um, I was like, Ulaanbaatar, I don't care. Like just send me overseas. Um, I wanted the excitement of being in the field because it's the work is different, right? Like headquarters work is slower field work. Like you are on the ground real time like stuff happens you know like um where we were there was a like a small terrorist attack while we were assigned there you know and I'm like it's action like stuff is happening real time like I'm working with the foreign service there um you know it's just incredible so we I think we were together I think we were together three years. Um, before we were sent out for a long assignment, and that was it was amazing.
6: What is it about about Asia and those cultures that excites you or interests you?
7: So, I think a lot of it has to do with my childhood. Just the fact that I because my first memories are of Japan Mm. and because my parents are Buddhist. So even when we came back, that culture continued. Um, It's just comfortable for me. I like, so I, I definitely feel American. I am definitely Americanized, but I also have this very strong, like I understand the, the culture of, putting your community before yourself, which is very Asian, right? Like Americans mm-hmm. are very independent. Um, you usually put yourself before others. But in Asia, like when, like when coronavirus started, these, you know, really cool gadgets and everybody knows how to do Kung Fu. <laughs> like everybody knows five languages. Um, you know, everybody was cool and good looking and it was really... I'm, I'm a huge fan of James Bond, so I really was like, this is the agency. Once I got there, I realized it's, it's a diverse place. And one of the biggest things that really hit me when I got to the agency is how many different jobs there actually are. So all the movies are about the exciting case officer, right? The James Bond, um, the Ethan Hunt... But you get there, and there are HR people. There are people who clean the waste baskets. There are, you know, cooks. There are analysts. There are mechanics. There are graphic designers. There are really yes, like there's a print shop there. People work that. You know, like there are IT people. So it's just like any other. It was. It was insane like how cool it was to walk in and to see the seal and you have to get past the guards with your special badge and all of that felt super cool. But you walk in and it's cubicles (laughs) and people doing like a plethora of different jobs like any other business, like any other government organization to keep it running. You just happen to work on things that are super cool that most people don't know about. That's what I enjoyed the most was kind of having this insider insight into world events that I was already interested in. And then I had an even even more of an insider perspective where I was like, this is really cool. And I can affect things in a way, even if a small way that nobody will ever know about. And for me, being behind the scenes is huge. Like I love being behind the scenes. Like affecting somebody that nobody ever knows i even touched that's that makes me feel good right i Mm -hmm. see the end result and i'm like boom i did that great so
6: now when you got there did you get to sort of choose the path that you took or did they do that for you
7: so in the interview process um that i went through um i was uh I was going for, they have different tracks. Mm -hmm. So I was going for a certain track, and there were like three different job descriptions that I could go for. Um, I picked one, I entered, I decided shortly after, they have a a really long orientation period, and then a really long training period. So I decided... I originally was a desk officer, and I decided that targeting was a better fit for me. When I entered in 2007, targeting was brand new. They had just started it. It used to be that case officers themselves would do that kind of work. They would be the ones that found targets and figured out how to approach them. But it really wasn't efficient for them to be doing that. They really need to be out in the field meeting people so they created an entire job description for people who specialized in finding who they were going to meet so then all they have to do is spend an hour with me and i say this is the guy here's his photo here's his family here's everything we know about him he's gonna be at this place at this time he likes this kind of stuff go you know go meet him and be friends If they spend an hour with me, it saves them a ton of time. Um, I can go much more in depth because I'm interested um, than the case officer would be able to because they have a million other things going on. So, um, yeah, so for me, I was able to change tracks during the training period and then be certified as a targeter. Okay, and then how did
6: you meet Andrew initially? <laughs> were, you, were you guys both training, or
7: we were in orientation together? So they enter everybody, no matter what their track is, um, together, and then that's when they do all the HR stuff, right? Like, here's how your health insurance works, mm. and here how's your, you know, how your paycheck works. <laughs> like, make sure you sign up for medical benefits. All those the intro stuff um, that you don't think about happening at the CIA. <laughs> um so we met, I think I I noticed him after the first week and he was always uh seated between two females. And so <laughs> but I decided, wow. yeah. I saw him from a distance and I was like, I'm gonna meet that guy. And so it took me about three weeks to get a seat next to him and start up a conversation. Um, and he was great. As soon as I introduced myself, he was like, do you want to go out on a date Wednesday? I was like, yes, yes, I would. Wow. You, very much. Yeah, he was great. So um, the bummer for him was I was dealing with um, an anxiety disorder at the time that had just kind of, I'd had it for about six months undiagnosed. Um, so I was having all this anxiety constantly and it was making me really physically ill And um, so he asked me out on the date, the night of the date, he called me to ask directions to my house. And I was like, I was throwing up. (laughs) I was like, I was like, I can't go. He's like, are you like, do you want coffee instead? Do you want? He kept trying, trying, you know, and I'm like, I just can't. And that was the very end of our orientation. I was like, I can never see this guy again. Like, he makes me throw up. I have too much anxiety. I like him too much. I was like, this sucks. Like, I'm never going to see him again. So then we spent, like, I think a a month working on the same floor in our offices, completely avoiding each other. Until I bumped into him at a staff meeting. And then I was like... How old were you? I was 27. Wow. Yeah yeah it was intense and i was it he was a very patient man because we had a lot of tea dates <laughs> when mm. i was like i'm really nauseous right now <laughs> like you make me so nervous <laughs>
6: now, now this like it, it, it parlayed into you guys eventually working together like right as a team
7: yes and
4: that was that like before- because your habits create your character and your character determines your destiny As we learn from our mutual mentor, you know what I'm saying? Like, success will take you there, but your character, your gifts and talents will take you there, but your character will keep you there. But it all starts right here inside the mind, so we got to have a strong belief system. Because I remember when we used in school, you would see the little posters that say, if you believe it, you can achieve it. Bro, that's facts. That was a ball. We thought it was corny. We thought it was cliche, but that's real. That's real. So when I began to believe I could do these type of numbers, when I began to believe I could travel the world, bro, my wife looking for homes down in South Africa. I was like, boo, come on, boo. She's like, oh, you don't believe? I was like, I have to check myself. Like, bro, don't be a hypocrite. Like, do you believe? People got to believe. And so to everybody that's watching us, everybody that's listening right now, like, I need you to believe in that power, that purpose, that potential, that society. you God has an amazing plan for your life if you believe. What do I look like trying to trying to determine where my life's going to go. I ain't that smart. I ain't that talented. People talk about a five to 10-year plan. That makes sense. And it sounds good, but for me, I'm not even smart enough to figure out what I'm going to do with my life, right? That's why I wake up at 5 a.m. and I seek the face of God. Like, what you want me to do? What you think is the best play? And then I run that play. Like, that's how people can go to the next level. So it starts with the belief system, and then you got to put that work in every single day. Because my brother Brian, I hear no more. And if he was here, he'd be putting that work in. So I felt what I look like feeling tired. What I look like feeling lazy. What I look like talking about what's not comfortable in me. Comfort mm-hmm. don't pay bills. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So we got to be willing to put that work in every single day. So let's go get in. That's be great.
3: Listen, can't close it know no better than that, yeah. man. Do me a favor. Make sure you follow Jeremy Anderson, okay? Shoot him a-
2: My team would literally, you'll bring us on. You'll give us our retainer. And we would literally make somebody a quarter million dollars in a month off of like a $5,000 ad spend. Mm -hmm. And we would consistently do that to the point where I was just like, yo, why are we making everybody else all this money? We're only getting this. I don't really want to partner with them. So how about I just continue the clients we have, keep those going, and let me focus on my own products, my own, my own hire myself as a, as a client Mm -hmm. and, um, and then focus on partnerships Mm -hmm. with different influencers or celebrities and things like that, but only really pick the right people. So that birthed the company, that was our technologies. Well, we built out the technology, but well, now we're going to do this same structure on testing out hundreds of products, seeing what floats to the top. Once we know what floats to the top, we're going to take that and we're going to pick an influencer and we're going to match them up with a product. And we're going to make the next Kali Jenner with the next Kali Cosmetics. And then the next component to that it's called social seed. Well, we change the way that your favorite, that your most, um, we change the way that fans support their favorite influencer. Okay. So we're gonna make it where <clears throat> your top one thousand fans could invest in your product before launch. Dang.
3: Goodness gracious. Okay. First off, so you're probably with influencers. I just got over 100000 so I'm technically— You're, you're influenced? Technically technically, I'm technically influenced you, right you now. There? So you So we, we, we can put something together? We can partner?
2: You know, I got to run it through the team.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that means uh, I'm going to need that retainer. Regardless, <laughs> <laughs> brother. <laughs> Not ours. <else. laughs> How Not cool else. we are. Give me that retainer. <laughs> I, I respect it, though, because if we can—you make a quarter million dollars a month. Like, yeah,
2: I could do that. Yeah, it's easy. But you'll be surprised how easy it is. People think once you have the data, you can do whatever you want with that data. Mm. You can literally take lookalike audience, which is basically when somebody buy your product, you can have 100 people that purchase. And what it tells Facebook is, hey, Facebook, take all that information, they put it all in one little bundle, and then they... See what all is. What all attributes do they have that's similar? Right. And then they go and look at your interests. See what you're interested in. Who are you following? And they go follow, They go find more people that look just like that. Right. So if you like Pretty Ricky, David Shands, and Jordan shoes, and you purchase from Spectacular, then nine out of ten, if you find people that like those three things. Nine out of ten, they're gonna like me too. Gotcha. gotcha. So they'll put that hundred people in a bucket and go find a million more people that's just like that. And once you find a million more people like that, and you put your same as that product right in front of them,
3: sales skyrocket. Goodness gracious, yeah. I wanna, I, I wanna, I wanna like go go back and then get back to where we are. But pretty Ricky hmm How old were you when y'all started? And how did y'all start? you pretty Ricky? Are y'all real friends or somebody put that together put put y'all together? Nah, we family, man. Like real blood family
2: or Diamond is my bro brother. Baby blue, I keep calling him It's government, my bad. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. so blue is your blood brother. Yeah. Your blood brother. Yeah. Same same yep. parents. Same mom, same dad. Oh wow. And then slick is my cousin. And then P, we knew him for so long, we call him a brother. But, you know, that's a childhood friend. Mm-hmm. So we already had, like, chemistry. I literally never wanted to be a rapper. Really? I got forced to be a rapper.
3: What did you want to do before this whole...
2: I, I just wanted to be an entertainer. I used to just be in a dance group, dancing on stage, having fun. Like, and it's great We we did the... Interview in Miami, mm-hmm. right? Because in Miami, they call it dancing booty shaking. That's what they call it booty mm-hmm. shaking. And that's all I cared about was dancing on stage. I used to dance in front of 3,000 fans. Uh, they call it the Omni, the National Guard, Martin Luther King Parade. I was always on stages. So my dad used to see what me. I
3: you were always on stages doing what? Dancing. I used to be in a dance group. Like dance So you were in a dance group? Yeah. So what the talent shows, this dance groups. This is just this ain't something you just like to do. Like you were actually competing. Yeah, we compete. Yeah, we did all that. We so did. how'd you put the dance group together? Were were your brother, was your was was pretty Ricky a dance group first? Or no?
2: So so them? it was something I was doing okay. and then Blue seen what I was doing and he jumped in. He was in the dance group mm-hmm. too. He wasn't the best, but you know he could. He, <laughs> he had a little solo that he could do. He could make the crowd get on their right, feet. Right. So we was in a group called Baby Forever Nasty. Baby Forever Nasty. Yeah, that was and the name of the group. That was the name of the group, and we was all like in in middle school. We was all in middle school, and even elementary, fifth grade. Because the 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 main group name was Forever Nasty. And they, they was the group that was teaching us. So we was baby Forever Nasty. How old was the
3: Forever Nasty group?
2: They was like, they was in high
3: school and some was out of high school, like just out of high school. Forever nasty. And then y'all was baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's funny. So what did they end up doing? Anything do you know? Do you still know those, guys, those people?
2: Yeah, actually, one of the main people that taught me how to do dance routines and everything literally reached out to me the other day and asked me to mentor them. Really, yeah, that, it went.
3: 360.
2: Interesting. 30, you
8: paying me after 30 days, right? You can right. pay me that 30. I'm the government. I'm gonna pay, yeah. pay them that 32. I ain't coming on my part. get the government's gonna fund everything. Why would I prepay anybody, right? If the government says I'm on net 30, I'm
3: putting Joe Schmove on net 32. So that's something you need to go, negotiate with the contractor up front. They know. Because some people be wanting a deposit to do something. Yeah, some work. yeah,
8: yeah. They'll say, oh, you know. Especially if it's I'm renting like porta potties, hand washing stations. They'll say, "Oh, I need a ten percent deposit." Well, two thousand eleven, I ain't had it right, so I had to communicate. Hey, this is gonna be a federal government contract. Yeah. Work would be here. You gonna get your money? It's coming from, and that's okay. That's Got the key, you. man. If you can't speak to people, I mean, they won't shake and move. They'll just go with their own Gosh. SOPs. Now, when I have the actual contract in hand. That's like liquid currency.
3: Yeah. Yeah, look. It's, it's real. Yeah, yeah I'm
8: going to leverage it. This is real. Look what I got going on. And then they, you know, jump
3: in bed with me at work. Gotcha. Give me the biggest issue, the headache, man, because it can't be as sweet as it sounds. It sounds sweet. <laughs> and wow. I'm thinking like, dang, maybe I can get in. This the biggest the headache, beginning. man. In the beginning,
8: I don't care what type of solicitation I've ever gone for, the <laughs> headaches are making sure the subcontractors get me back their quotes in a timely manner. Remember, I'm on a time schedule. I have to have this thing submitted by May 30th. Maybe I just found the contract May the 21st. So I'm calling, calling, calling these subcontractors trying to get quotes, and they lollygagging, and then I missed my deadline. That's the hugest headache. It's not a headache once they already got the contract and they already working because they want to keep working. Half of these companies don't have a lot of work. Mm-hmm. So now when you're giving them a quote unquote guaranteed steady four or five year contract, man, that them doing the work is not a big deal. It's in the beginning stages, me getting that timing down or getting that uh, quote to me. Because right. I got to submit my paperwork on time. That's the gotcha. big. that's the hugest headache. Gotcha. It's huge, yeah.
3: And so how, you have employees working for you?
8: Now, Yeah. And what do they do?
3: Sure, one sure. person sends the invoice.
8: I know that. <laughs> yeah, one person sends all the invoices. That was the, the first person you hired. Listen, I don't want to send
3: these right. invoices anymore. Yeah,
8: I'm done with all that. So the invoicing, they're looking for the solicitations. Well, I get sole source a lot now, though. So the government actually calls my company and says, hey, can you provide this product or this service? Oh really?
3: Yeah. Also oh, once you build that relationship with the hey, government, you are I to- mean, I got
8: over 40 contracts been doing it since 2008. Like they my my company's name is Solidified. So they just call my company and say, "Hey, can you provide us this product or this service?" So I got somebody to run that, mm-hmm. the emails, uh but other than that,
3: I mean, it's only I only got like four people on my team. All I need. Are you versed in the in like the municipality and the state as well, or you just uh, teach you teach straight yes, federal? Straight federal. I know the crazy thing is, I know nothing
8: about the state and local. Nothing. People come to me all the time. I got this state contract. I'm like, I'm not your guy. I know nothing about it. it I don't even, like even want to get into it. Supply, but they they have like different certifications. You got to get this. You got to get a. a DB, I don't even know the stuff. It's it's just different. Mm-hmm. It's just different. I don't even want to tap into it. Because people come...